This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. It's good morning. It's 830 on Wednesday, November 11th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi leaders recognize and honor the state's veterans. Then Mississippi Supreme Court justices are deliberate, deliberating the case involving the governor and speaker of the House. Plus, after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris is a trailblazer for women of color. We hear from a regional leader of her sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Today is Veterans Day, a day to honor the men and women who have served and are currently serving in the United States Armed Forces. It was first observed as Armistice Day following World War I. During a ceremony honoring veterans yesterday, Major General Jansen Boyles of the Mississippi National Guard remarked on the importance of a nation remembering its defenders. Calvin Coolidge uh, remarked 100 years ago that the nation which forgets its defenders, a nation which forgets its defenders will itself be forgotten. That is why we are here today, celebrating Veterans Day. Uh, this is not, it's not Memorial Day, where we celebrate those who have, or we honor those who have uh, given the ultimate sacrifice during times of war. It's not Armed Services Day, where we only recognize those who are currently serving in the military at that time. This is Veterans Day. This is the one holiday where we recognize all those who have served in the military uh, and those who are currently serving. So it is a day where we celebrate all of those veterans who we honor. General Boyles also emphasizes the role the Constitution of the United States plays for those who enlist to serve and protect it. But my question is, who is a veteran? Who is a veteran? Who are these folks that we're recognizing? I have a personal definition of what a veteran is. My definition is those men and women who raised their right hand and swore an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Thank you. Thank you for that. But I want to make the point today, and we have been here before, I want to make the point today that we do not support and defend a person. We do not support and defend a political party. We do not support and defend an idea. We support and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. That is what we do as veterans. Speaker of the House Philip Gunn was also on hand. He says it's important to consider the sacrifices veterans make for the nation. Some have given the ultimate sacrifice, but all of them have taken time away from careers, from wives and husbands and children and parents and relatives to go and and be away for a period of time in the service of our country. And uh, that is sacrifice, and it's a sacrifice that all of them have made. We need to honor that. 
Retired veterans like Mark Lawson share the sentiment. Lawson, who serves as the director of veteran cemeteries for the VA, shares more about his experience and how important recognition of service is with our Michael Guidry. Uh, I did two combat tours aboard the USS Kitty Hawk, one in uh, one in Operation Restore Hope, which was uh, Somalia, and Operation Southern Watch, which was the end of the first uh, Operation Desert Storm, and then I also served again on, in Operation Iraqi Freedom. We've been kind of observing what is now Veterans Day since the end of World War One, when it was an Armistice Day. As a veteran, what does the observance of, of this holiday uh, mean for you and for others who have served? It's a time for everybody to stop and just thank us for our service. Uh, I don't know that if you've not been attached to a veteran, if you're not related to a veteran, if you don't have a veteran in your family, you really understand what we give up to go abroad to protect our freedoms. You know, we just had an election. I always think it's interesting that we that we recognize Veterans Day in November, and we always do our elections in November. Um, and it's some of those freedoms that we go out and protect abroad, and we're missing birthdays, anniversaries, uh, Christmases, Thanksgivings, uh, and we gladly do that, and it's a time that we can at least be recognized and somebody just say thank you for your service, uh, whether you're a veteran or you're a retiree. Uh, we all we all serve the same purpose and sign the same check. Your capacity with Veterans Affairs as director of veteran cemeteries. Um, veterans Day is a little bit different than Memorial Day. We, you know, Memorial Day we remember those who have who have passed and fallen. Veterans Day we honor those who serve. But still, um, you know, we have veterans that have served our armed forces and served this country for over 200 years now. So, um, what does it mean to ma- maintain and to make sure veteran cemeteries are are places where people can go and remember the veterans who are no longer with us? Uh, as I look out my window right now, we have over a thousand burials at our Newton location. We have just over a hundred burials at our Kilmichael location, and all of our grave markers right now have a United States flag placed in front of them. Um, and tomorrow, we're not going to have a service, but tomorrow, people are going to be able to come out and look at those flags, understand and read the markers. We have. World War II veterans, we have Korea War veterans, we have Vietnam War veterans, we have Operation Desert Storm and Operation Iraqi Freedom. And it's just a reminder of what exactly we do. Uh, when when I see these flags on the markers, it just reminds me that, you know, I, I did sign that check and I did serve our country and I, I, I would do it all over again. I think if you ask any veteran if they would go back and do it again, we would all to a man or a woman say, absolutely. Uh, it, it's a respect thing. I get goosebumps when I when I came in yesterday and we started putting the flag on. When we got done, I, I had goosebumps because it just is a reminder that the freedom's not free. Uh, but where I work, I get to see and honor and respect those that that gave a whole lot of their, themselves to our country. And as we mentioned, it's Veterans Day, and it is a day to set aside time um, to you know, formally acknowledge veterans. But you know, as a veteran, as someone who works in veteran affairs, what are other things people can be doing the other 364 days out of the year 
um, to pay respect and show appreciation for those who serve in our armed forces? That's a very good question. Uh, I always think that if you see somebody wearing one of those veteran ball caps, that you can always thank them. Uh, whether it's Veterans Day or Memorial Day, you know, Memorial Day is a whole lot different than Veterans Day. We're we're honoring those that, that paid the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, but you don't have to just wait for a designated day to thank a veteran. Uh, we have a lot of our, our Vietnam veterans and our Iraqi Freedom veterans that are wearing the ball caps now proudly saying that I am a veteran. Go up and thank them. Go up and shake their hand. Uh, I, I bet you they would appreciate it because we we kind of get forgotten about sometimes. Um, everybody takes their freedom for granted, and at times you think I'm just doing this for naught, but that's really not true. But if somebody can come up and just you know thank me for my service, it, it means a lot. It goes a long way. Well, Mark Lawson, director of veteran cemeteries and a veteran of the United States Navy. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, sir. I appreciate your time. Coming up, Mississippi Supreme Court justices are deliberating a case involving the governor and Speaker of the House. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes. That was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A case to prevent Mississippi's governor from vetoing portions of appropriations bills is being deliberated by the state Supreme Court. Republican Governor Tate Reeves is challenging a lower court ruling that found he doesn't have the authority to veto sections of legislative budget bills. The issue before the Mississippi Supreme Court began in August when House Speaker Philip Gunn and Speaker Pro Tem Jason White, both Republicans, sued the governor for vetoing portions of budget bills, arguing it's unconstitutional. During oral arguments yesterday, Reeves' attorney, Michael Bentley, cited precedent in defending the governor's partial veto. And there, there are, There's examples of vetoes under Governor Barber and under, under Governor Bryant that were vetoes of parts of a bill, an appropriations bill, that were returned to the legislature, where the legislature elected not to override, and no member of the legislature thought it was necessary to bring a lawsuit to challenge those particular vetoes. Um, again, they're in a reply brief at five to seven, and they're very, very similar, almost identical to the actions at, at issue in this case. In an exchange with presiding Justice Leslie King, Bentley says the action taken by House leadership to file suit rather than take action on an appropriations bill is a political calculation not protected by the Constitution. Section 72 of the Constitution would require the, legislat- the legislature, the House of Representatives in this case, to take a vote to override the governor's veto. But but if it's an invalid veto, there is nothing to override. Well, that's the legislator's position, but the Constitution doesn't permit this sort of third way that the legislators have come up with. The Constitution says, Section 72, says when a veto is returned, the body shall proceed to reconsider. And then it goes on to say what can happen is either an override or 
or not override. Those are the two courses available to the legislature. There's not a third way, which would be to sit quietly on the assumption that all members of the House view it as unconstitutional and then later bring a lawsuit challenging what effectively is a political determination not to override the governor's veto. Representing Gunn and White was attorney Andy Taggart. He cited language in the bills and in the governor's vetoes while also pointing to court precedent in similar matters. What ought most to concern the court is the language of the bill, the language of the governor's purported partial veto message, and the language of this court's cases in Holder and Fordyce and Barber. Because if that is the focus of this court, then the only ruling that should be rendered would be to affirm the correct judgment of Chancellor Tiffany Grove in this matter at the trial level or to overrule 122 years of this court's precedent, which of course the court has the authority and power to do, but I'd like to urge to the court for several uh, reasons why it should not do that and instead should affirm the correct judgment of the trial court. Two bills are at the heart of the dispute, HB 1700, the education bill, and HB 1782. The House acted on 1700 while also citing it in the suit. In an exchange with the court, Taggart said action had to be taken on the bill to secure funding for schools at the beginning of the school year. But the court questioned if the move was a political consideration. Both bills were the subject of this action originally, and both bills, in fact, were subject to unconstitutional partial vetoes. But one can easily surmise that the reason that the legislature might have gone ahead and moved to override on House Bill 1700 is we were in August and the school uh, school year was about to begin and $2 billion plus of public school money was held up on the question of whether that veto was valid or not and the prospect of going through the trial court and then ultimately to this court well into the fall semester before we knew whether the MAEP money was properly uh, uh, available to school districts or not alone ought to have been a sufficient basis for the legislature to take the action that it did and without for a single moment, Your Honor, surrendering the point that the veto nonetheless was unconstitutional. Well, what I understand is if you've got so much rolling right there and you just whipped everybody up to get all of these votes to override that provision, could you not stand up five minutes later and say this 1782 is the same thing. It's just as unconstitutional as that one. Let's take the vote again. I would say a couple of things about Your Honor. First of all, I would say that is a political consideration that really does not rise to the issue of the constitutional consideration. If it's a political consideration and is a policy decision of the legislature, isn't that one of the things that we are supposed to consider as a separate branch of government, as the judiciary, to not go meddle with why the legislature made that policy decision to accept one partial veto but not accept the other. Isn't that a clear separation of powers issue that Hamilton said? The legislature has the, uh, you know, they got the purse strings. They're dealing with the money. The judiciary, we're dealing with just our judgment, and we're supposed to be the weakest branch. We're not supposed to step over into doing the will of the legislature or the will of the governor in these situations. Taggart says the role of the court is to resolve disputes between the other two bodies. Previously, a Hines County Chancery judge ruled Reeves's vetoes were unconstitutional. Both attorneys are asking the Mississippi Supreme Court to expedite its decision.
Coming up after a Southern Remedy Health Minute, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris is a trailblazer for women of color. We hear from a regional leader of her sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. Thyroid problem. Certainly, that's a common thing that a lot of people get. Just to back up a little bit, what does the thyroid do? It sort of is the master gland as far as your metabolism goes. It helps to maintain that uh, normal state of metabolism that you need to deal with everything. And uh, in certain individuals, as we get older, uh, all kinds of different things that can decrease the amount of thyroid uh, hormone that you're making. We call that hypothyroidism. Well, we treat hypothyroidism very simply with a replacement hormone called Synthroid. Really easy to treat, but um, if you're not keeping up with it, sometimes you may feel fine, but you may be getting too much of that hormone. And there was a study that just came out uh, through some data from the Veterans Administration on veterans who were being treated for hypothyroidism by giving the thyroid uh, hormone. And uh, in those patients that were getting a little bit too much, and you do increase your risk for things like heart attack, can cause some uh, increases in your blood pressure over time. So it's even if you, you know, are feeling okay, you probably at least need to check it uh, um, every six months to a year. For more health tips and medical information, listen to Southern Remedy each weekday morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. No matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone, Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Vice President-elect Kamala Harris is looked at by many as a trailblazer. Stepping into the second highest executive position in the country, she is the first woman, first black American, first Caribbean American, and first Indian American to hold the office. She is also someone who followed the same path as many citizens of color, attending historically black university and pledging Alpha Kappa Alpha. For Mitzi Page, the Southeastern Regional Director of AKA, the election serves to remind others glass ceilings can be broken. I am so thrilled uh, to be a part of this historic uh, time uh, to know that uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris is a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated and that she has uh, broken all of these uh, glass ceilings is so inspiring uh, to me. Uh, as a Black woman. Um, It is uh, a time of great joy uh, and reflection for our sorority. 
we have chapters in all over the world, uh, you know, in the Caribbean um, and uh, in the United States and, and just chapters all abroad. And so we are a global organization. And so her election, her background just fits with um, the uh uh, with the mission and the goals of Alpha Kappa Alpha. What qualities do you think Senator Harris brings to the vice presidency or will bring to the vice presidency? Uh, I think that um, she brings uh, her intellect, her experience, um, her diversity, her diverse background. I think uh, just bringing herself when she's there at the table means that all of those things come with her. It's not something that she can separate herself from. Uh, and so when she's sitting there, she is uh, diversity. She is uh, uh, brains and, and um, uh, very well qualified. And she is experienced uh, as an attorney and uh, as a senator. Black voters came out in large numbers for this election. Do you think they were motivated by Senator Harris being on the ticket, by a desire to vote out President Trump, uh, to vote in Joe Biden? Do you think there was an overwhelming influence to vote? Well, I think that uh, for the members of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, it was a great joy to know that somebody that we knew that we had shared principles with uh, was uh, running for the the uh, on the ticket for the highest uh, positions in the country, um, without a doubt, the fact that she is a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha uh, motivated us to work very hard to get people registered and then to get them out to vote. But not only were members of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated inspired, so too were members of what's called the Divine Nine, uh, the uh, other African-American uh, fraternities and sororities, because they were our partners in also doing the same thing and hosting Get Out the Vote, calling, uh, pounding the pavement and um, ensuring that people got to the polls. So it was a it was an in a energizing um, factor in the election for not just members of our sorority, but for all of the members of the other fraternities and sororities as well. What would you like our listeners to know? And I think you've spoken to Senator Harris's character. What should our listeners know or expect from her when she becomes vice president? I think that they can expect uh, pretty much uh, what we have seen in her role as a senator. I think that we can expect to see someone who listens, uh, but also knows how to uh, present her thoughts. Uh, I think that we will see somebody who is very well prepared, who will be an asset to the uh, president-elect uh, of this country, um, because the principles that she stands for are, again, the principles that are shared by so many people uh, that uh, pushed uh, the, the vote and, and wanted to make sure that uh, we had a seat at the table. Mitzi Page is the Southeastern Regional Director of Alpha Kappa Alpha. Thank you so much, Ms. Page. Thank you. 
This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.